this summer, like many of you, our family um, was trying to kind of hit a reset. We were tired of being inside, but simultaneously a little reluctant to be surrounded with huge groups of people. So it set into motion us um, heading on a road trip. So we take off, we go down the road, and um, we are doing something that doesn't normally reflect what I do. We're outdoors, and um, if you've spent a lot of time with me, you know that I'm not a very outdoorsy person. It's not that I don't want to be. It's more that I'm allergic to everything, and it's just simply really, really hard to be an outdoorsy person when you're allergic to everything. So regardless, we actually set out, um, and we're going down the road, and in the middle of nowhere, and like Massachusetts, you know, there's two seasons. There's road construction, and then there's, you know, not. And, um, and so this is definitely the road construction season. So we're flying down the road, family, you know, we're, we're talking, laughing, and I see a sign that says bump. And kind of, you know, a little bump on the brakes, but all of a sudden, it's like I see the sign, and then my brain does this, like, really fast computation where I realize while I'm cruising along, what I'm actually looking at is not a bump, but it is a canyon or a crevasse. You see, the road that I've been flying down, about 65, 70 miles per hour, in fact, um, takes just an immediate drop-off. So our stage is almost... 18 inches, two feet off the ground. Um, We're driving on this road, and the road, uh, because of construction work, is completely cut and drilled down almost two feet. And so I go from cruising to careening. We're flying through the air. I am like, oh my goodness, this is how it ends outside in the middle of nowhere. What am I doing? My wife is really terrified because she's realized, we're now flying through the air, which is not what you're supposed to do with a car. Kids have no clue. They're just kind of like, whatever. Um, we, we fly through. We land really hard. I mean, it's like a scene out of Fast and Furious, it, unless, except if Fast and Furious was like less good-looking people that are all like clearly athletic and buff and more like middle-aged men who are bald and overweight and driving really boring cars. That Fast and Furious, the, you know, number 15 that I'm sure is going to come out one day. So we landed hit the ground like everybody in the car is like ah and and i like slam on the brakes and i'm skidding through this canyon of a road that used to be there and when the car finally stops i'm like and i slowly inch my way out of the hole because i have to climb back up the two feet on the other side of this massive gash in the road and as i'm driving along the road i'm thinking about what just happened And the fact that there had been a warning sign that said bump. Now, I would have argued it should have been a little bit more than bump. Maybe like extreme drop off. Maybe like you're going off road. But they'd given me a warning sign to tell me what was coming. And and like the road, I think life also has some rumble strip type of things. That there are some aspects to life. There are moments in life where we're given a warning. And like the road, it's subtle. But if we ignore it, the devastation and impact can be significant. And over the course of this month, I want to look at some rumble strips in our life. Because that's what rumble strips do, right? They, a really good rumble strip gives you enough of alert to tell you to pay attention, but not cause so much panic 
that you go off-road. And that rumble strips have to walk a fine line to alert you to pay attention without causing you to panic. And over the course of this month, I want us to kind of walk through some rumble strips. Over the next few weeks, we're going to pay attention to a, a very specific type of rumble strip that's essential that we master and pay attention to. But over the course of this month, my hope is that you will leave this series aware of the rumble strips that are there and have the kind of ability to tune into them to avoid the devastation that they're seeking to warn us about. In fact, the way that I want to kind of jump into this series is to take a look at a passage that of scripture that was written almost 3,000 years ago and was written by a man who was in the middle of some rumblings. He'd gone through an incredibly challenging situation, a circumstance, and out of that rumbling in his life, out of those rumble strips that he was riding along, he penned the words that we now call Psalm 139. We know there was a rumble because in Psalm 139, verses 19 through 22, he says this, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Now, I don't know exactly what it is that he's walking through, but this makes it really clear that whatever it is, whoever it is, is an extreme circumstance. These are really brutally harsh words that David, the writer of Psalm 139, writes, which is somewhat to be expected because David was a unique kind of guy. David was the king of Israel, but what he was perhaps most famous for and who he was was that David was an incredible warrior, fighter. He was the one who had slain Goliath, but he was also known as a songwriter and as a poet. He was this rare combination of a warrior poet and Psalm 139 reflects that warrior poetness. That regardless of what the circumstance was that prompted David to write these words, the reality is that we can all relate to that moment in our lives where there's some breaking news that feels like it's going to break you. Where there's something that happens to you that you're not sure what it's going to do to you. And this causes a lot of inner rumblings. I would argue that regardless of where you are right now, 2020 is one of those type of rumblings. I mean, here we are on the third day of 70 degree weather after a full week of November, where a week ago there was snow on the ground. Um, about 24 hours at this recording point, into the announcement of who won the election on a Sunday morning when the election was on a Tuesday. And to top all of that, in preparation this morning, there was an earthquake in Massachusetts. I mean, 2020 is a rumbling. It's unpredictable. It's crazy. It's upended our lives. And every day that you think, ah, you can't top this, 2020 says, I see you but I raise you one more. Like I raise you an earthquake, Massachusetts, because that's normal, right? And so part of this desire, even in the midst of this rumble strip, is to prepare us for all the rumblings that 2020 or 2021 um, has for us. Because 2020 is already kind of alluding to the fact that it's going to spill in to 2021. And I don't know about you, but I don't want deja vu. 
I don't want to relive my spring ever again. And the rumble strip is about us learning to deal with the most important rumblings that can happen. And that's what Psalm 139 lays out for us. You see, David writes the words we just read out of this rumbling he has. And what's instructive about Psalm 139 is the actual psalm itself, knowing the occasion, knowing why it was written. It actually gives us, I think, a deeper understanding of how to navigate those rumblings that we deal with in life. In fact, one of the most important rumblings for us to become aware of is the rumblings that happen up here and in there, the inner rumblings of our thought life. And I want you to see Psalm 139 this morning as really a manifestation, as a physical representation of the thoughts that David was having in the midst of his rumblings. David pins Psalm 139 as his reflections on his rumbling. And by doing so, he doesn't just tell us what he was thinking. He shows us how to think in the midst of a rumbling. You see, what David understood that's really true of you and me is that the lines in our head today can become the headlines of our life tomorrow. That the lines in your head today can become the headlines of your life tomorrow. So if you want a glimpse of your future, what are you saying up here? What are you saying to yourself? If you want a picture of the relationship and the future of the relationship you're in right now, what do you say to them up here? Because the lines in your head today will become the headlines of your life tomorrow. And David recognizes the power of the lines in his head. And what David does is he's not passive. Psalm 139 is David grabbing a hold and leading his thoughts, not being led by his thoughts. And he starts this way. He says, Psalm 139, verse 1, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways before a word is on my tongue. You, Lord, know it completely. He sits down to lead his thoughts. And where does he start? He starts with what he knows to be true about God. He says, you know what? In the midst of all this, the summarize one through four, he's saying, you know what? God's aware. He's aware. He's aware of what I'm walking through right now. He's aware of where I am. And then he continues. He says, you hem me in from behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He's, he's moving through his progression of thought, and he's reflecting not on just the fact that God is aware of him, but that he's there with him too. And he says, where can I go? Where can I flee to get away from you? And he continues that thought, and then he transitions into verse 13, where he says, For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. All that poeticness 
is essentially capturing and summarizing what David's understanding about God. He's, he's like, God, you think about me. You, you understand. You're aware. You're there. But that you actually, you care too. And the way he captures that caring is the fact that he's like, God, you actually think about me. You know me. I, I remember when Jenny and I were dating, and this was before uh, the days of instant communication, right? And with text messaging. And, and I remember I would come out of my workplace and I would find a note on my window shield, like, like tucked underneath my windshield wiper. And I would get so excited and I'd go and I'd read it and I'd, it would be uh, like a love letter from her. And I was like, man, like how stinking lucky am I that today while I was working inside of here, like she was thinking about me out there. In fact, that was one of the coolest things about the love letters that we write back and forth was that they were a reflection of the fact that we were sitting actively thinking about someone. Which is one of the ways that we show we care is that our mind is with them, even when they're not there with us. And what David is intentionally walking through is the fact that he's like, God's aware, God's there, and he cares. He's leading his thoughts. What I don't know if you've noticed, but at no point up until this point, has David even talked about the circumstances he's in? See, oftentimes in the midst of the rumbles that we're dealing with, with the pressure or the pain or the challenge, those become all-consuming. The emotions become all-consuming. And David is actively leading his thoughts through that rumble. And, it, and he hasn't even talked about the rumbling yet. You see, David understands something that's really critical when we talk about our thoughts is that you will either lead your thoughts or you will be led by your thoughts and most of us were never taught this most were never taught how to deal with our thoughts we're held hostage by them as passive victims one of the best things that ever happened to me was when i was younger i was diagnosed with OCD and recognized that I have this mental disorder that's constantly trying to hijack my brain. That if the average brain can tolerate being a passive hostage to its thoughts most of the time, for me, it's war zone. And for, for some of you who've shared your struggles with me, like, you know it's challenging. Whether it's OCD, whether it's anxiety or depression or dealing with an addiction, you know what it's like to constantly be at a war that you feel like you can't win. And one of the most powerful things that ever happened to me was I became a Christian. And as I began to study the Bible, I started to realize that I can actually take control of my thought life. That God could command in different scriptural passages for us to be in control of our thought life because it must be controllable. Up until that point, I believed I was just kind of at the whims of whatever thought passed through my mind. And so as a parent, this is a really big passion point for me because I want desperately for my daughter to understand this. As I've shared before, the day that um, I found out we were pregnant with her, as, as long as it took for us to get there, 
um, it was a kind of a bittersweet day. I wept harder that day than I probably have in most of my life because I was so terrified that I'd given this disease to my daughter. And that I'd had days where I felt like I barely made it through. And if it wasn't for me becoming a Christian, I legitimately wouldn't be alive today. And here I am finding out I'm going to have a child. And all I could think about is, is she going to be given a death sentence like I felt like I lived with? And so from day zero, I've made it a mission. That regardless if she has it or not, I'm going to teach her how to lead her thoughts instead of being led by them. I'm going to teach her to control her thoughts, not to be controlled by them. I'm going to teach her that the lines in her head today can affect and become the headlines of her life tomorrow. And so if you were ever to bug her house, you would frequently hear these types of conversations. You would frequently hear us unpacking how to process through truth, how to navigate with our mind. You would hear us kind of laying the foundation that David lays here about what to think, that God's aware that he's there and that he cares for you, that I'm depositing those truths. That's why what we do here on Sunday morning, both digitally and in the future, physically, again, is so important because we're depositing these foundational truths, these building blocks that help to stop the erosion that happens with the constant waves that come constantly up and up of lies and insecurity and these cultural pressures. Like this is an, a, a wall that stops the erosion. Like you, what, what you might see at a beach. And so we're so intentional about laying those foundational blocks, but then I also want to train her how to think so that she doesn't kick those blocks down. Or in the moments when the water does spill over, she doesn't get wrecked by it. And so we have this. And one of the things that we talk about frequently is the mechanics of how you deal with thoughts. You see, early in with the struggle, I used to think, oh, if I can just not think about it. Just not think about the pink elephant. Try to do that. Not think about your pink elephant. Not think about the pink elephant. I'm not going to think about that pink elephant. And all you do is you think about the pink elephant. Not thinking about something is not a strategy. And so you can't turn down the volume because if you try to not think about it, it just ramps it up, right? You get so frustrated that you're consumed with that addictive thought. You're so frustrated because you're consumed with that anxiety or that worry. And you're like, I'm not going to think about it anymore. I'm not going to focus on that anymore. And so we try to not think about it. We try to ignore it. And what happens is it gets louder because our emotion and our anxiety and our frustration and our anger, like all that rumination about what they said to us and what they did to us just keeps playing. And with the emotion that gets swept in, the waves get bigger. And they get stronger. So finally, we can't. And so what do we do? Well, we don't, know how to re we don't know how to deal with it. So most people have come up with a coping mechanism that is a horrible strategy. They either numb it, whether a substance, whether a screen. They try to numb it and distract it. And the reason I say it's a horrible coping mechanism is because it doesn't actually help you because the moment your coping mechanism's done, 
it's back again, isn't it? The moment you're sober, the moment the show's over, the moment you have exhausted your Instagram feed or your Facebook feed, the moment you've exhausted the news feed, you're exhausted because you go right back in to those thought patterns. So what do you do? This is what we talk about in our house. And so the thing that I tell my daughter that I learned through even Psalm 139 is you either will repeat a thought or you will replace it. You can't remove one. You repeat it. I'm not going to think about that. Well, it's just going to get stuck in that loop. So what do you do? Instead of repeating, you replace. What David does through this entire process of his inner rumble is he's replacing the thoughts he would have had had he not sat down in that place and intentionally led his thoughts. Had he allowed the rumble in his life to continue, the inner thought process would have played out and would have consumed him. And Psalm 139 would not be what we have today. It would be the ruminations of how frustrated and bitter and how angry he is and he's thinking about what they said and he's thinking about what they've done. Those are all the lines in his head. He says, no, I'm not going to repeat that. I'm going to replace it. So what am I going to replace it with? I'm going to take a step back and gain some perspective. I'm going to start with what I know. God, you've searched me. You know me. I'm going, he is aware. God's aware of what I'm going through. God is there with me as I'm going through it. And God cares about me as I walk through it. And all of that, all of the fact that God is aware that he cares and that he's there is him actively leading his thought life. He's actively leading his mind in this season and in this struggle. And what's interesting is if you kind of have arranged it to, to kind of set us up for what he does at the very end. It actually, if you kind of break it down, you can get the word act. See, David's intentional way of acting in response to the rumble is something that you and I can do too. That it's not just thinking spiritual thoughts. It's the very mechanism underneath the thoughts he's actually thinking that's so critical too. But coupled with the type of thoughts he's having, not just the mechanism of how he's doing it, but what he's thinking about, sets him up to do something that is on the surface an amazing response you see in psalm 139 23 and 24 he says this search me god and know my heart test me and know my anxious thoughts see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting he goes through all of that he goes through he's aware he's there he cares and then if you remember at the very start of the message he he recounts the rumblings and the struggle of these individuals and then to wrap up the Psalm 139, he closes with a prayer. A prayer that helps to give him a little bit of perspective. A prayer that's truly profound when you realize what's all around it. He's saying to God after he's walked through all of that profound truth and after he's put before God the pain he's walking through. He says, but God examine me. He says, search me. When I think about the type of level with what David is saying here in the language he's writing at the time, 
He's essentially saying to me, God, examine me the way a doctor would examine me in a physical. The way a dermatologist would look at me if I went in for review. Like, see everything, God. Not just the parts I want people to see, but the parts I hide from people too. Examine it all. And as you do that, and you know who I am, God, see if there's anxious thoughts in me. Like, go beneath the surface with me, God. Examine me to my heart and my thoughts. And you see if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. He kind of, he turns from the prayer to what the prayer should produce. He's saying, God, as you examine me, make me aware of what's in there. This offensive way is a really interesting phrase. Um, David, when he writes this, uses a word. Offensive doesn't capture it in the English. He's saying, God, see if there is a way that leads to pain. See if there's a way that I'm on that leads to devastation, that leads to destruction. God, see if there's anything in the course of my routine that's taking me away from the way that you have for me. You see, um, the word routine is where it, it comes from the same word we get our word for route or route. It's where we get our word for road. You see, what David understood is he's asking God to evaluate, to analyze, to examine, is that our routines are a road. And that the routines that you and I have, the routine ways that we think, the routine choices we make, they're a road taking us somewhere. And, and it can become, we can become numb to that road. We can miss the fact that the part of the road that we're on doesn't always give us a snapshot of where we're headed. In fact, the story I started with at the beginning, if I'd have been smart, I'd have probably sensed that the road construction workers that day probably were a little, hmm, maybe not on their sharpest game. You see, as I was driving down the road, just a little ways away from the crevasse that I was going to careen into, this was the yellow lines they had painted. You can see as it goes on in a distance, that's not the road that's doing that kind of wiggle. It's their painting. And if I'd have been paying attention that day, driving down the road with these lines, maybe I would have treated that little bump sign a little different because I'd have recognized, you know what, maybe this path isn't the most truest, best, reliable way Maybe the people who are carving this path aren't having their best day. And that David, when he's saying to God, examine me, God, when understand, guide, lead, he's trying to make the point, God, I want to make sure as I'm going down this road that I'm aware of the rumble strips, that the inner rumblings, I want to make sure that I'm not going off in the wrong path, that I'm not taking in the course of my routine responses to challenges and to actions that I'm not going in a way that's going to lead to future pain, that I'm not going in a way that's going to lead to future destruction. When David prays the prayer in Psalm 139, 23, and 24, what he's saying to me is, God, examine me. And in a profound sense of humility, he's looking at his circumstances and he's like, how might I be wrong? 
in this situation? God, if I'm wrong in the way that I'm interacting with these people who caused the rumble in the first place, that you would help me to see that in this space. The humility to say, how might I be wrong is present in that prayer. And all of his righteous anger and all of his proactive thinking, he's aware that he could still make a mistake and that he might have been responsible. Maybe his reaction, maybe the words he chose might have bore a little responsibility for what went down. He's saying, God, help me to see that the choices I'm making today have consequences tomorrow. Help me to avoid that pain. It's like, what ways today am I taking that could lead to tomorrow's pain? What am I saying today? What am I thinking today that could be destructive tomorrow? David understands the lines in his head today can become the headlines of his life tomorrow. And so he's saying, God, make sure. God, please help me to see what those lines are doing to me. And lead me into the headlines that you have for me. As Christians, one of the things that we have that David did not have. David sat down and wrote Psalm 139 with a very limited picture of who God was. Yes, he's aware. Yes, he's there. And yes, he cares. But 3,000 years later, we have a perspective that even David himself didn't have. You see, David's great, 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 great for a while grandson was jesus and it would be jesus's life and death on a cross and his resurrection that would communicate the ultimate that god is aware that god is there and that god cares for us and that god made a way for us that what david wrote as an everlasting way has become the everlasting way a way that brings life not just today but for every single day that The Christian faith doesn't just bring hope for this life. It brings hope for the afterlife. That you can be confident both today and tomorrow that you are secure, that you are grounded and rooted, that there is no reason, hear me, there is no reason for you to be uncertain of where you stand with God. God has given us everything we need to know where we stand. And it is our privilege and our pleasure as a church to help you get that confidence too you should never walk into a funeral your own funeral ever wondering where do i stand with god because god made a way for us so that we would never have to say that ever again that god took the step to restore the relationship that we had broken so that we could be restored to him And that as simple as it is, it wasn't cheap. It cost him his life. It cost the cross. But it made a way. And that I'm alive today literally because of Jesus. And that for you today, no matter what's bouncing around in your head, that's one line we can help put to bed today for you. And whether that is you just saying, God... I really believe that you are who you say you are and that your grace really does cover. That that what I have done does not have to define my storyline anymore. 
that I'm sorry, I'm turning from that, and I'm turning to you. As, as simple as that is, just saying that to him. Or maybe for some of you, you're wrestling through, and that sounds too good to be true. And maybe you had some bad religious experiences, and so you've kind of written off the church or written off the religious experiences that you had, and you probably were right in doing so because what you experienced wasn't reflective of who Jesus is. What that church did to you was not reflective of what God wanted done for you. That he is a God who is aware, who's there, and who cares. And he showed it through the cross. And he brought victory into our life, the way everlasting, through his resurrection. And so ultimately, we have insight that even David himself that day didn't have. And so if that's you, let today be the day that you settle that question. Let today be the day that you gain the confidence that Jesus came to give you of where you stand with him. And for the rest of us, in the midst of 2020 filled with all of its rumblings, let's take a step back and see in Psalm 139 that David laid out a path for us to navigate all the different rumbles that may show up in our lives. And ultimately making us aware of the biggest rumble strips that we have, the thoughts that we have. Because they are telling us something. They are pointing us something. The routine of our mind will become the road for your life. And as we wrap up today, I want to help you in that process, whether it's to take that step of faith and begin to follow Jesus with a confidence that you know that you know that you're okay, or whether it's to to begin to move to start to fight the fight that's worth fighting of replacing the thoughts that you have, not repeating them, so that the lines in your head don't become the headline for your life tomorrow. And to do so, I want to give you a phone number. This is a number I've referenced a few times. Um, it's a number I use. It's directly connected to my phone. I use this to communicate to people. This week, for example, um, you got a video from me on Election Day, um, which is kind of a, a devotional thought to kind of reflect on why we can be um, kind of confident even in the midst of so much uncertainty. Um, and um, also, some of you who've expressed interest in music who I've texted with actually got a link to a song this week to say, hey, here's a song I've been listening to that, man, is just giving me so much peace in this season. And so um, this number is a number that we've just created because we want to kind of walk with you because we do believe that the Christian faith isn't just hope and helpful for this life. It's for the afterlife, too. And so we want to walk alongside of you through that journey. So if you text this number, if you've never texted it before, if you've already texted it, what I'm about to say Ignore. But if you've never texted it, 617-415-4441, just text, hey, or your name, it doesn't matter. You're going to get this auto link back. um, And if you follow the link and you fill it out, um, you'll get a confirmation text that you're now part of this group that I've created. And the reason I want to highlight this number today is because I want to give you something to help you play this out. You see, one of the things we do every single week is we have some reflection questions. And whether it's just questions for you personally, as you reflect, whether it's you um, spending time, whether Zoom or face-to-face with some family members or some friends reflecting on these questions, um, the goal is that we would take what we heard today and, and the truth would gain traction in our life tomorrow. And so the first one is this week, I want to challenge you. I challenge you to read and pray Psalm 139, 23, and 24. And the way I want to challenge you is through the number I posted up, this number right here. Because if you text that number this afternoon, I'm going to send you um, a wallpaper for your phone. 
So you can save, save it as the wallpaper or you can just put it on your computer screen or whatever. But it's Psalm 139, 23 and 24. And I want to challenge you every single day to read that passage and to pray it. It is a dangerous but powerful prayer to say to God, search me and know me and to sense and to lead and guide me on the way everlasting. Another one um, is what thoughts do I need to start replacing instead of repeating? Let's just be real. Some of you are still trying to earn the favor. Some of you are still trying to earn the approval. Some of you are still trying to earn the love of people who are dead and gone. Maybe it's your parents from long ago and words they said to you. Maybe it was your ex-wife or your ex-husband. Maybe it's this inner voice that haunts you. And you've allowed that voice to have residence inside of your mind for far too long. And today, let's give it the eviction notice and kick it out. And let's identify those thoughts, those thoughts of insecurity, those thoughts of worthlessness, because the cross says that you have value. Hello, if God himself stepped into this earth to buy you back and to restore and to redeem and to chase you down. Like when my wife would drive to my workplace to leave that note, if God came to earth to do the work so that you and he could work together again then surely you're not worthless. Surely you're, you're not something to be thrown aside. Look, I don't care how people have treated you. I don't care what that led to in your thought life. That thought needs the eviction notice today. It needs to be replaced. Let's, let's take the repeat button off. I don't know what that is. But you're human. So the reality is, is that most of us have something. And then the third is, if routines are a road, where is yours taking you? This is a bonus question today. If you just really, and you, you're kind of feeling it, you're jumping in, and you're willing to pray this prayer, then to ask this question, if routines are a road, where is yours taking you? Where is your thought life taking you? Where is your choices, your financial choices taking you? Where's your relational choices taking you? Where's your professional choices taking you? If routines are wrote, where are you going? That with those questions, with Psalm 139 as our guide, and the powerful truth that he's aware that he's, he's there and that he cares, we can have the holy confidence. We can have the boldness to begin to reclaim our mind to remind ourselves of those powerful truths and to begin to walk in a new path to the way everlasting.